The subject for this evening's talk <coughs> is cause and effect. <coughs> During the days that we have been here together, we have been questioning and investigating in various ways the general construction and concept of self, of me, of my. And <clears throat> we <clears throat> notice with ourselves that through the patterns and habits of our existence we have this capacity as human beings to form image or images and through the image, through the idea about ourself, we fill it up, we give it substance. And our identity as a human being is built up through the image with the accumulation of feelings and thoughts and memories, and ideas, and interpretations. And through that, we gain a kind of substance view of ourself. At times, this substance view of ourself fits in with the world, and that sometimes we notice we, it doesn't. We don't fit in with the, the way things are through our identities, through our role, or whatever. And we notice that the strength of the substance view of ourself also varies considerably, and we've talked about this. We've noticed that in some roles, and some identities, or positions that we have in life, <coughs> they matter considerably to us. <coughs> We have a lot of investment, we've built a lot up in the image. And with others, there's much less so. So we find that the sense of self, the, 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 the me, the strength of it, varies considerably according to situation, according to activity. And sometimes, we've noticed in ourselves during these days, so sometimes this substantial self with the identification, with the role, seems quite out of place. In other words, we've been here just, organic, um, just being in touch with organic life, breathing, being, listening, the ordinary and the everyday, and then the substance of the image and the idea has surfaced with quite some degree of strength. And we've noticed we've been completely preoccupied with that role, with that activity, with that um, view, with that idea about ourself or a situation. And it's got such a potency to it that it seems to <coughs> appear quite separate from the circumstances which are around us. So that the world is almost forgotten and the substance of the <coughs> role or image or identity 
seems to have more strength to it than anything else. And to sometimes we almost live in, we might say, the reality of the mythology. And that becomes our construct of the world. <coughs> Pardon me. Once we have that, then very easily in the relationship to the substance view of self comes in concern, questions, thoughts, reflections about cause and effect. And we begin, through self, to live in a world which we designate as a world of cause and effect. And in this, the different ways that we can explore or go into this, and I think the difficulty of this kind of exploration of going into cause and effect is what is going to contribute to our understanding something very deeply and very clearly, which is very freeing simultaneously. In other words, any investigation into life, into self, into the nature of things, if it's to register with us, must register, we might say, must register rather clearly and rather deeply inside of ourselves so that understanding from within our being comes. And when looking into cause and effect, that is, and other areas of life, that's certainly required of us. So sometimes when we are, we are looking and we are just looking into things, what we have noticed at times in ourselves is that sometimes the substance view has, say, temporarily dropped away. That can occur just while breathing, just while being with the body, just while walking, just while experiencing the ordinary and the everyday, brushing one's teeth, noticing a sight, a sound, or whatever. No particular me and my at work, no particular obsessions and preoccupations. One's way of being in those moments is relatively quiet, relatively settled, relatively calm. And I think sometimes we forget there are the number of moments in our day which nothing special is happening. It is rather quiet and ordinary and we're just living in our world and when our mind is not really making too much fuss about ourselves, too much fuss about the world that we live in. And there's, I think there's a lot of beauty in that and a lot of significance in that, but also, equally importantly, I think it allows a receptivity as a contribution to understanding such important areas of cause and effect and liberation. So sometimes, for a number of people here, both people who are here for the first time on a retreat and those who have been in this situation many times, some of you have been reporting and saying, 
at times, there's some feeling of being at ease. Not any profound samadhis and deep meditations, though people report uh, uh, that as well, but a sense of being at ease with what is. Others report, oh, I, I, I just love it to be like that, if it was just for a moment. And the report is contrasting to that. Contrasting in the sense of what I'm calling here substance view of self. Me and my, what I am, what I'm like, what am I doing with my life, where am I going, etc., etc. So in other words, sometimes in the relationship to being, sometimes it appears substance and preoccupation with substance on what is to be done with it and about it. Sometimes it's less like that. It feels relatively relaxed, relatively calm, relatively spacious. One feels a certain state of at ease. In that, from substance to at ease, there's tremendous variations. There's no end to the depth of concreteness that we can build up about self. Me and my and I and I and I and I. And there's no end to the depth of refinement and subtlety which can even go right into deep elements of that cellular life. So there's this spectrum of human experience between substance to, shall we say, insubstantiality, and to some degree, as human beings, sitting and walking and being here together, we experience the varying degrees from substance to subtlety. And that may change quite dramatically. It's not unusual for where there's calmness and being at ease, and really feeling at ease, and feeling the texture of that, and the quality, and the, and the natural, organic appreciation for being at ease, that within 24 hours later, wham, bang, Superman, Superwoman, substance is back, I and me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So this sometimes constitutes in our being, in our experience, this kind of range. With where there is that sense of being at ease with the moment, being at ease with the here and now, or with the substance view, still thought arises. Thought arises in particular ways. Thought at times, in its arising and appearing in consciousness, now that more precisely, I think, perhaps at all times, somehow is thinking in terms of cause and effect. Thinks in terms of cause and effect. And sometimes the way that shows itself is, if I continue doing this, whatever the this is, it will continue like this. Then I have a cause, continue, I have an effect. Whatever, from substance to insubstance. So when we begin to look and explore a little bit more deeply and look more, a little bit more carefully into life, I think the question 
the awareness, the investigation into cause and effect becomes an area of acute interest. And in speaking in this way, if I may say, I think its significance is not just so-called personal, but it's social. It's regard to all the helping professions. It's with regard to all social, political, economic awarenesses, all ways of viewing existence. Get the consideration for it falls into the field of cause and effect. And can we explore that and the way that that manifests and what the views tend to do, what kind of views occur and what that might mean in life. Because I think the tendency is to take up a view of cause or cause and effect, identify with it and never appreciate what emptiness is and understand it. Let us take, let us take them. A very common one, it's particularly common in certain cultures, particularly common in Western, it's particularly common in uh, this uh, culture here, in which, in the thinking about and the viewing, one of the things which occurs as a cause and effect is when a person says, I am like this, because I did this. If I wasn't like this, I wouldn't be experienced this. I make my own world, I've created this situation for myself, I've put myself into this, I've got myself like this, and now I've got to get myself out of this. Or, if I really wanted to, and if I really had the determination, I could go out and get what I want, I could succeed in any particular area, it all rests with me, I'm the only one who can do this, nobody else can do it for me. This is a strong cultural view, it's an inherited view, it's a socially propagated view, it's part of the social myth, and we inherit it, we believe it, we actually think it's the truth. So, when we view in that way, what we've done with this world is we are saying to this vast panorama of existence, I am the cause, I am the effect, it all rests with me, it can't possibly be any other way that's the truth. And when we <coughs> adopted and identified with that kind of view, it leads to the heights of pleasure and feeling of success, and it's all in my hands, and it leads to the very pits of <coughs> despair because we are fashioned by the view, by the way of thinking, living this way. Sometimes, we don't have that view. That's not what we would regard as a typical view that we hold and we cherish. 
So sometimes when we, we look at the world, we look at the relationship to the world, we look at it from the opposite standpoint. The way we look at it opposite standpoint is it's not me, it's because, because of. And then we look in the world and then we pinpoint causes. Sometimes we pinpoint causes, obviously, on parents. They are often, these days, in contemporary society, high on the hit list. <laughs> <coughs> and so then we say, these two people, they are the cause. I am the effect of what they have caused to me, or we say it's teachers, or we say it's educators, or we say it's the society, or we say it's the politicians, or the economists, or whoever is around. And we look at the world as though we have no part in it. The responsibility for our success, our failures, our joys, our pains, our suffering and our realizations rest in what's happening around and if it wasn't for him or for her or for them or for that I wouldn't be like I am. And then we attribute the world in being particulars of it as being the cause and that is the cause, and I am the, just the effect of that, a kind of side product of the, what they, he, she have done to me. So sometimes we attribute that in, 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 in praise, in wonder, we specify a person or a group or whatever, and we say, it's just wonderful, they, he, she has given this to me, it's changed my life. Person may be in the past, dead or whatever, or in the present, and we say that. Sometimes we say, well they have done this to me, and they, he, she is the cause, and what it provokes inside of us is tremendous blame, because we say they have done this and we believe that implicitly we say this is the truth and our mind, our heart, our being can't see any other way except it's him, it's her, it's them, it's that. Sometimes in our own mind with cause and effect we go back and forth it's me, it's nothing but me, I'm obviously to blame, oh, I did it all by myself, I, was, I succeeded, I pulled my socks up, I did it. Or we say, no, it's all because of. And we move back and forth between the two, believing, and the important thing here, believing in the truth of the way of thinking about life. Believing cause and effect has some inherent, ultimate truth or reality to it. Sometimes, we don't view that way. We don't say it's all me. 
We don't say it's all out there and the cause and the, is all out there. Sometimes we're a little bit more aware, slightly. <laughs> and we say, ha-ha, it's both. <laughs> Some of it belongs out there with him, her, them, that. But some of it belongs to me. And if it wasn't for him, her, that, or if it wasn't for me, or if it wasn't for that place where I, uh, where I live, whether one is living in the Rocky Mountains or New York City, I wouldn't be like this. But, of course, there is part of it which it must, I must take responsibility for. <laughs> so this makes us feel, well, some of it is out there, some of it is inside, and the two go together, and I end up like I am. <laughs> Again, still viewing in a particular way, still getting countless messages from society, from those who are supposed to know, from the investigators, the philosophers, the therapists, the doctors, the meditation teachers, oneself, etc., etc. That really, that's really how it is. It's kind of both. Some out there, some of it's there, some of it's me, and the two go together, and then we get the effect of it. So thought is still operating, still occurring. We're believing implicitly in thought. Therefore, we're believing implicitly in the message of cause and effect. And we find ourselves moving from one position in, and interpretation of cause and effect to another and to another and to another. And our existence can move back and forth between these interpretations and incredibly... When the one is arising, we believe in it as though it was some sanctimonious truth never to be questioned. Sometimes, we go a bit further. Mind is incredible. The other, the way that the fourth goes is, I wouldn't say I'm the cause and I'm just the effect of all of this. And I just bring it on myself. I won't say well, it's just because of him, her, them, that, and that's the result, I'm the result of it. I won't say it's both, because which bit belongs to which, and, and how much of it belongs here, and how much there, and who's going to say anyway, because neither of us can agree. <laughs> so I'm not gonna, don't want to get too much caught up in that view. So I'll say, well... It's none of those three, it's just random. <laughs> this is the truth. It just comes spontaneously. It just happens. <laughs> and then we take up that kind of view. We're tired, we're absolutely exhausted with looking for cause and effect. So we take up one which is, it's just random, that's really how it is, you never know what's going to happen, it's, life is totally unpredictable and <laughs> uncertain, that's obviously the truth. 
Not that we can live like that, but anyway, it's a convenient one because the others don't seem very good either. <laughs> so one takes up this position. Self, other, both, neither. Moving back and forth between these views and opinions about the nature of things, getting them reified again and again by the scientists and the wallers here and the people who do this, that and the other, and with thinking, etc., etc. Self, other, both, neither. So then we look at ourselves and we look in and we say, well, which one do we fancy? Which one do we find ourselves leaning towards and, and referring to most frequently? Which one in our working with other people do we tend to take up and regard as being the truth of the way things are? And you know, it might be remarkably difficult to bring up and to find a view outside of those four. I hope this doesn't get you thinking for the, <laughs> for the next two days. <laughs> So in our way of experiencing the world and being in the world, respect and acknowledgement for the remarkable apparent influence of thought fixing frequently gets neglected. And so with thought and the views and the opinions and the strength of the feelings and the associations, what very easily happens is that the thought living in concluding about cause and effect seems to make it the truth. Sometimes we're in a situation. It's a difficult situation. We revert to the second one. We revert to other. And we say, well, in this situation, things can't change because the power lies there. You can't do anything about it. He, she, they, that have got all the power. And the finger gets pointed there. The view gets pointed there. The blame gets pointed there. And the more the pointing, they are the cause, they are the cause. Equally to the degree that we cherish that, the more likely we are to feel helpless because we've got the cause there. Or we, something happens to us, we have a wonderful experience and this, that and that happens. We haven't really investigated into, into the nature of cause and effect and the beliefs around it. So then we say, how wonderful he, she, that. That could be anything, meditation, Buddha, anything. That is and what that has given me, done to me. 
So in our conventional language, when we are speaking, when we are communicating with, with each other, we're moving back and forth between these various views. Sometimes they're balanced, sometimes they are seemingly off the wall. And we wonder with some, how some people came to view these views. You know, just the other day, I, over the weekend, I was speaking as an example about the hole in the ozone layer and was exploring it, I would say, from a self-other viewpoint. How we have all contributed to the release of CFCs, to the abuse of the environment, to industrialism, etc. Taking it from a self-other viewpoint. <coughs> and this hole in the ozone layer is big now as the U.S. release making us vulnerable to ultraviolet rays, increasing the risk of cancer to the earth and to people. And then someone said, but Christopher, that's not, that may not be true because one of these, what you call these, these psychic people, Emmanuel, or one of, the, one, of, one of them says, the hole in the ozone layer, it's a very good thing because it, that's the earth needs to do that. It wants to do that. It's a really good sign. I think, my God. <laughs> this is a contrast of view here. <laughs> One person is saying it's healthy, and this person thinks it might be a contribution to the end of life on Earth. <laughs> so, in that, we see the contrasting of views. Can we be aware that the view that we have is a way of perceiving? And that we might not find anything outside of that realm of views in terms of the four that I just referred to. So then we explain explore that and we, and we look at that. We, 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 we explore the thinking and, and the feelings and, and the movement of mind. Then we might ask ourselves in this field, but what, what does emptiness mean? What, does, what is emptiness? And it's a word which is used in the tradition, of course. It's a word which some of you who have done some reading in these fields hear this word, this particular concept. And sometimes what happens, there is some confusion of understanding and not understanding the liberating nature of emptiness, that emptiness matters. And what, what sometimes occurs in not understanding the nature of emptiness is that we regard it as some kind of feeling and what I mean by that is sometimes a person reports. One has come into a situation like this. Some of the references, the references that we have, the way that we've built life up to be, sometimes just happen. There's the fourth view here. Just happen, and it seems like they just drop away. And sometimes in that dropping away, there's a kind of internal collapse. 
Sometimes you've noticed this when you've been in one situation, you've left it behind for whatever reason, whatever cause you think that has happened. And you feel, as sometimes some of you report here, you can feel terribly empty inside. And, and when a person comes and says, I have a real feeling of emptiness in, inside. And sometimes one hears, oh, emptiness. Oh, is this what it's all about? You know, can you imagine thinking with regard to uh, emptiness, which is, the, uh, which is the, the heart of, I would say, the heart of spirituality, being regarded as some very unpleasant feeling, you know, really. <laughs> You know, like this is nirvana, unpleasant feelings of depression. <laughs> My goodness me. So sometimes with the language we use similar words and sometimes we say, oh, a terrible feeling of emptiness. So sometimes it's indicating to us that it, there's a referent there which we've had which doesn't seem appropriate. There's a kind of, so we say, collapse inside. We're feeling some feeling of emptiness there. If we're willing to stay in touch with, with that. Not an easy feeling, it doesn't necessarily go very easily. Plenty of references to it in experience, in the religious, mystical literature, the kind, sometimes the dark night of experience, sometimes it occurs a feeling of spiritual or existential emptiness there, and it's distinctly unpleasant. When we explore that, when we stay in touch with that, when we see its changing face and appearance, we might, as it were, pass through that kind of period, that darkness, that, that aspect of, our, of the inner work. But that emptiness is a description, it's a judgment about a particular feeling which is occurring in a particular time and place owing to the various conditions that contribute to it, the self other viewpoint. But when we're looking at emptiness, and we're regarding as, uh, and speaking of emptiness, what we're referring to, what we're speaking about here, is beginning the intimations and clearly, shall we, say, shall we say, initially of understanding the kind of views that we adopt, what we impregnate in those views and how easily it is that we forget those views as views. We forget those perceptions as perceptions, we forget those thoughts as thoughts, we, get, we forget those ways of viewing the world as ways of viewing the world, and we take them as having some inherent truth to them. So we don't realize, we don't see the emptiness of the view because we think it has some, it's true. And it's not to say that it's false, not to say that it doesn't exist, but it's a way of viewing. So emptiness is not presenting another view a view of emptiness, and as one as the old Buddhist saints, anybody who holds onto the view of emptiness tends to be incurable. <laughs> so when we look 
And we see the view taking form, taking shape there. Ah, this view that this time takes form and shape. This view changes, takes formation and shape with another view. Same mind then takes form and shape with another view, takes form and shape with another view. And one may, in our life, may have more priority and another. But none of them, none of the four, have any inherent self-existence to it. So it's empty of real substance. It's empty of selfness. It's empty of having any inherent, separate, unique existence to it. So emptiness is emptiness of any, uh, an idea that it's, it's really true. And what, what, what can allow, what can enable us to, for that wisdom, that understanding to be there? So that it's not kind of intellectual, it's not philosophical, but that, that it's as obvious <coughs> and as clear and is resonating with us so clearly that, as the Buddha himself said, it's as obvious as colour is to a person with good, in, good, good eyesight. That obvious in when we think, when we talk, when we write, when we view, when we perceive, whatever. So with emptiness, I'm not trying to present a view outside of the views that the mind presents, but seeing the nature of view, perception and thought, not giving any, any special existence, not therefore being bound to any, it's immediately liberating. Not trapped in the, in the net of views and opinions not deceived by them, not misled by them, not caught up with them because one knows they're the emptiness of them as having inherent truth. And how does emptiness express itself? It expresses itself by thinking and speaking and writing. Oh, I am like this, you are like that, we are both together. Oh, it happens randomly. When we're speaking of emptiness, what we're speaking of is views and opinions, which some of us have the great privilege, many of us in this hall, all of us in a way, of expressing each and every day of our life. Therefore, emptiness is expressed, made manifest, made most visible in the nature of things. And where there is cause and effect, what we're saying is, there is view and opinion. Cause and effect is view and opinion. And if we see that, if we understand that with the cells, we understand that deeply, and not caught, not trapped in the, in the believing in the inherent truth of views and opinions and cause and effect, then where is birth and death 
Where is coming and going? Where is past and present and future? If we realize, we see immediately the emptiness of views and opinions. Where is past and future and present as an effect of past if we're not bound up and ensnared in the net of views and opinions? So this entire nature of things is the revelation of emptiness. And that liberating communication which is taking place from one generation to another, it brings, there's another view, it brings, we might say, an understanding and a care and a concern for people who are pained by the views and opinions which people have about themselves, about others, about both, about neither. Warmth and sensitivity and affection, love and compassion flow easily because one who knows emptiness, emptiness knows the pain of views and opinions and all that goes along when they're regarded as some inherent truth that this is the way things are. This is how this happened. This is the cause of this. This is why I am like this. And there's the pain of holding up that model, that belief. So let's see into that. Let's see the emptiness of that. Let's, let's be free to see. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be liberated. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.